0: I think it was the theologians who first started the idea, later the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same. What
1: you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of
2: ourselves and into Christ, we must go.
1: This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Valk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I guess it's my though. It's your next book, Jacob. It is, it is. Four Views on Hell by Zondervan a phenomenal book um all the four views on the there's zondervan and a few other publishers put out these four views five views three views books what a resource i was about to say
0: (laughs) are is this actually zondervan or is that the publisher publisher okay yeah publisher zondervan
1: they so yeah there's so four views in hell had denny burke um a bunch of authors making their case okay cool, cool cool and then each author will write an essay and then every other author gets a chance to reply to that essay and then the next author writes an essay, and then every other author can respond to that essay. That is so cool. So good. It's almost like a formal debate. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And what's amazing about it is— I love a structured conversation. Man. <laughs> as opposed to whatever this is. Um, <laughs> YOLO. But um, well, that's a phrase I haven't heard in a while. I don't know why I just said that. Yolo. Anyways, YOLO. It was really, really good. Because when you have this kind of format, you have critiques and res- you have arguments you've never heard of. And then critiques to arguments you've never heard of. And it really, I think it does a phenomenal job of rounding out the entire issue because you're genuinely getting people who hold annihilationism or universalism or uh, eternal conscious torment and really tackling each of those issues. Uh, where I land on it is not really relevant, um, but it's just something I need you to You definitely make me through. want to read that though. It's very, very good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, I uh, want the every authors, topic discussed like that. The ev- every forward. author was, was largely respectful of each other. They're all Orthodox Christians. Um, Really, really good. So, orthodox in the sense that orthodox in sorry orthodox in the sense of they stand in the tradition of of broad Christian Orthodoxy. broad Christian Orthodox. not not uh, not like Jude, not like uh, Greek Orthodox like, like yeah Greek Orthodox cool. or whatever. yeah
0: yeah good book I'd also be interested in hearing that from a bunch of Orthodox Christians specifically in the yeah. the, the more specific sense of that but
2: uh, the Christ of the Covenants Robert O Palmerson my list feels so secular compared to yours. (laughs) Yeah. I, I made a lot of these books where I was like, I really, really want to read these. So Mm. I feel like anyways, read books for different things, but um, I have recommended this book to a number of individuals for various reasons. I disagree with the content of the book. However, uh, a lot of people who I respect really like this book. So I've recommended it depending on who you are. Um, he just takes a different uh, yeah approach to the covenants and how to put the Bible together like that. It is I see where he gets it from scripture, all these different things but in the end I did disagree with him based on early premises that he makes in the book. so it's worth a read if you're really doing a deep dive into that. Cool. All right, my next book is Zubiquity. Um,
0: by Barbara Natterson Horowitz and Catherine Bowers. Um, and this book was, yeah, it's a book about basically overlap between human and animal biology and psychology. Um, very interesting, written by a couple of doctors. Um, they talk about all kinds of stuff, like from like overlap in terms of like medical biology and then going to like um, psychology and and behaviors. They talk about like, how animals self-harm and try to make the case that they self-harm for the same reasons humans do. Um, oh. And it's, just, it's very interesting. Um, and I, I actually, I really enjoyed it. It has the same weaknesses that Rabbit did though. Okay. Right, the, the book I talked about earlier, right? So the, the, the two main fl- complaints I have with popular level medical books is that what you're <clears throat> looking at typically is a lot of pop culture references and a low ceiling on how technical they're ever going to get, yeah. And I do struggle with that a bit. I, you know, even as I'm going to, I'm going to be like, no, 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 go, just please. I, I can tell you're peeking on how technical you're going to yeah. get. It's I like, want you to go just a little further.
1: Like I, I can handle it. Yeah. You know, it's like dopamine is the pleasure drug in the brain. Sure, walk me through that. Right, right, exactly. They're like,
0: there's little, and you can tell that they're giving you the. This is, this is a picture of it but it's not accurate kind of version right where yep. it's like yes this helps me to understand it and to be able to work around this but this is not c- could you get a little bit more grown up with the language yep. I-, I do think I could handle a tiny bit more I guess for them it is difficult to know because I couldn't handle the full thing right I'm not yep. I haven't got any of the education that would help me to process that I guess it is hard for them to know where to draw the line on that
1: stuff yep. but it is a complaint I often have a
0: very interesting book though
1: cool yeah um number 35 for me this is your mind on plants by michael Pollan. really really good book is this another psychedelics book jacob it is partially psychedelics yeah but what's really cool about this book actually is he basically the book has three parts the first part is on um opium and opium poppies and a whole conversation about the drug trade and the war on drugs in like the 80s 80s 90s um and so really fascinating because he found out that he was sort of growing illegal poppies because he was trying to make opium tea. and it's a whole conversation about the nature of the drug war and it was very, very fascinating. It was a historical book and involved a lot of his own just interest in plant in plants and gardening and also potentially wanting to make opium tea for himself and then realizing that the legality were very weird, but the potential reach of the law was insane. Like you're like it was, it was, it was incredible. Then the third part the second part of the book was on caffeine. History of caffeine, how caffeine culturally is used, so many different things with caffeine. It was it was absolutely fascinating. Um, third part of the book was on mescaline, and his experience with mescaline, history of mescaline, um, how mescaline was used in Native American ceremonies, um, the religion. He does do a mescaline trip, several, um, and he walks through. I think mescaline, many peyotes. That's the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So, so the peyote is a ritual, I think, and then mescaline is the kind of underlying drug. I think- I think mescaline is the drug that you derive from the peyote okay, plant. from the peyote plant. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, not what I thought. I totally got mixed up. Um, but it's, yeah. Heavy, heavy, heavy Christian filter required. Okay. Um, nothing's overly graphic. It's a really good way to wrap your mind around the concept of drugs because drugs is a very big category. And opium and caffeine and mescaline have very little to do with each other apart from the fact that they're all drugs. And one of them is you could add other things up to that list too, like sugar or whatever, right? Exactly. Exactly. So it's just a really good orienting book. If you want to start the conversation, Um, obviously he takes a very agnostic point of view, uh, then, then sort of religious point of view, because you can't touch psychedelics without getting religious in some capacity. But I just really enjoyed. it. Actually, I just really, really enjoyed the book. I was kind of, I was captivated the whole way through. Especially mm. just during like the whole chapter, like multiple chapters on caffeine were so fat. The book's worth that chapter alone. Like the fact that we build our societies around that drug. Essentially, we're all buzzed. Almost everyone, ninety-five percent of the co- of the population has caffeine in them at almost any given moment, mm. which is. Phenomenally interesting. I mean, ties it to like uh, the re- like the um, the Renaissance. Yeah, I could go on and on. It's a fascinating, fascinating book.
2: Uh, Thirty-four: the distinctiveness of Baptist covenant theology. Um, I would highly recommend this book. It's more history oriented, less theology, even though it does go into it. But just follows theologians from kind of like whatever stuff there is written from Christ on when there's a lot more people writing Uh, Puritans because there's Puritans both ways on the topic and compares um, kind of, I guess, Presbyterians and basically infant Baptists with Baptists throughout history. And they definitely take a stance, but they do try to be pretty, like they try to be very fair to both sides. And then at the end, they say, we believe based on all of what these people say that, this group had it right. However, th- they were trying to be very um, fair to both sides the whole time. So it's a good book. Sounds good. Um, the
0: Unseen Realm by Dr. Heiser. Heyo. Good have you guys, you yep. guys have read this? I have. I have not read it, but I've listened to a bunch of podcast stuff about it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, he, he's basically talking about um the lesser discussed aspects of. Of the spiritual realm that you find discussed or or covered or commented on briefly in the Bible. Um then he goes primarily into um traditions and perspectives from the ancient Near East. Um in fact for anyone who's read Heiser, that's it becomes a little bit of a joke, the the the, the ancient Near Eastern perspective. Um it just it's just a phrase that he uses yeah, so yeah, yeah. many times in the book. Um and it's, it's, it's quite good. Um, it's one of those books where it's like, this is one of the books that helps you to create that distinction in your mind between knowledge and understanding. Because as much as I would say his scholarship is probably fantastic, and it, I have no reason to doubt it. I, I've not fact-checked him or anything. Um, I, I think that he's probably right about a lot of his objective statements. Some of the, the ways that you could, your takeaway could be wrong. Yeah, Right, your takeaway could be not meaningfully accurate or helpful, mm-hmm. and at the same time, it's so interesting and um, and useful to understand the context.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a that book is is dense, but it can properly shake. What what shook me is that there was so much stuff in the Bible I had just not noticed before at all, and I was like this is here and I've read this four times and I've never really paid attention to what's actually going on here. Right.
0: It, it hit me less there.
1: Okay. I also had a little bit less of a
0: a sane upbringing theologically. So I encountered more o- outside notions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of the stuff he discusses not first time encounter for me. Okay. But he's he no matter what, he always managed to make it a lot more interesting and deep and he's able to re- reference scholarship that was n- absolutely new to me. Yeah. It's yeah. A,
1: it's a, it is a very interesting book. Yeah uh 36 freedom of self forgetfulness self forgetfulness by timothy keller another kind of book on humility didn't hit me super hard i wish it did i need a lot more humility than do I do you currently really have. like tim keller i like, like i love tim keller okay, yeah. cool. he's great it's just a small little book i don't know I, maybe maybe humility is not one of the ones you read about maybe the ones that you have to do i don't really want to talk about it much it, i'm sure it's great i hope it helps people nothing no shade it just didn't much of the same the book you read on humility gem
2: didn't help me i guess yeah though i'm down to put that more to uh, in fact i would assert that it's more me yeah. than the book yep. um so anyways that yup was an agreement not an assertion that it's your problem not mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh fellowship of the ring jr tolkien well there you already go. talked about it. next
0: um the 100-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared. 37, 100-Year-Old
1: by, man Who Climbed Out of a Window and Disappeared. By Jonas
0: Jonasen. So good. Yeah. Um, honestly, a very, very funny book uh, written by a Swedish author. Um, listen to the audiobook. Absolutely fantastic. Um, it's it's fiction, and it's humor fiction. It, it is not profound in any sense. But <laughs> um, <well>, basically, <laughs> it follows this guy through a lot of the 20th century, through a lot of the history of the 20th century. And it's just, it's very whimsical, but it's this one very odd little dude who, who ends up being in all the the most pivotal places at, all the time. He's, he meets all the the, the the revolutionaries and stuff of the world throughout the 20th century. And it's, it's structured around like tr- dipping from the present situation that he has, where he's a hundred year old man who decides to escape from his old folks home and just like dip and go take a train somewhere. And he ends up mixed up with all kinds of crazy people. So you, you're following that story, but then he's constantly doing these like f- these uh, flashback segments that are pretty big, uh, in which he discusses the life of this man. Um, it's 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 very
1: very very well written. It is very funny. It is very stupid. Yeah. And utterly improbable. Whoa, like, like the probability of it again like, is no, zero. Zero.
0: Zero profundity and uh, zero probability. But it was, it was a great read. It was very enjoyable. Very diverting. Yeah, I read it because you recommended it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, funny book. Yep. I, I do I do appreciate a funny yeah. read as made evident by my list. Yep.
1: Uh, I had that as my next book, actually, so I'm going to skip that and go Baptists and number 38, Baptists in America, Thomas S. Kidd and Barry Hankins. Really, really good book. Because um, if you want to understand Baptist history for whatever reason, really, really great book to just dive into all of it. So... So it's just about that. It's been really helpful for me to understand the new culture that I'm going in at Southern.
2: Next one is The Idiot by Freudor Dovsievsky. A little better on the name. Not that much better. Um, it definitely sounded more elegant. It sounded more elegant. So it really like, did. I can That's add so like good. on there and oh. it like sounds cooler. It, but... w- it was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, good book not that much to say about it other than it was an interesting concept. And this one of the three Dostoevsky books that I've read struck me as the most like, man, Russians just think differently. Like the way he would write dialogues between people, these long dialogue scenes. And I feel like often I can predict what someone's going to say or like, I understand where they're going with it. I had no idea what he was going to do. What they were gonna say, and it actually made it harder to read. Like I still loved it, but I found reading Russian novels like I read a lot of Russian novels this year, partly just because I was kind of intrigued by the fact that they just think differently. It's a completely different literary tradition,
0: right? It's 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 a unique literary tradition, and that's part of what's it's interesting. Is like no doubt there's other literary traditions that we're not reading out of as well, right? But yeah, Russian versus. Um, like English literary traditions right. are very, very meaningfully distinct. Um, and, and part of the way, we like to joke that the, one of the ways you can tell is that they write longer books. But that that's just almost a consequence of the fact that the tradition is very different. They tell stories differently, right? Right. Yeah. And then no one knows where Chesterton's literary tradition came from.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the tra- uh, Russian's literary tradition comes from desperate winters and lots of vodka. And... Also, like, let's just appreciate some of these, uh, like, some of these novels that you're reading are thick. The Idiot is not a short story at all, and well, very, very few of these are. So, you, you read a lot more paper wise. I'm mean, curious to do a page count. Hey, right? Do like us. a
0: Spotify rap for this though, where we get to see how many minutes we went. That would be, that would be so cool. cool. Go ahead, chinks. All right, uh, Michelangelo <laughs> and the Pope's ceiling by Ross King. It was a book about Michelangelo painting the ceiling of the Pope. That actually sounds so cool. It honestly was. He did a really good job. He uh, did a really good job of discussing the context, everything was happening in discussing the politics that was going on, what the Pope was involved in a lot of like little history tidbits talking about, he also discusses, does a good job of like referencing all these different sources and being like, this guy's, you know, said that Michelangelo painted the ceiling lying on his back there's now reason to think that that's not what was going on. You know, like uh, talking about these different kinds of like sources and playing them off each other and discussing what's credible and not. So it almost gave me a borderline. Uh, this would be, yeah, this would be a bit hyperbolic, but almost Dan Carlin level assessment of the history mm-hmm. to give you that little picture of what was going on when Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. Um, but give you the whole picture and go into lots of
1: particulars. They are just absolutely enthralling. Nice. Love this, yeah. nice. Um thirty-nine, Words of Life by Timothy Ward. Uh, it's basically a book on scripture. Really, 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 really good. I love this book. It they were so careful. So careful with their treatment of scripture, dealing with a topic like inspiration, infallibility, going through all these things. And they were detailed. They understood objections very well. And they were very careful not ma- making hyperbolic comments, testing and torturing every statement they made to make sure it stood firm. And I really, really appreciate that in a theological work. Mm. So it made me very appreciate when someone's like just outlines every possible objection and does so with like that seriousness and gravity of a respect for those objections. Um,
2: I, I just, I have a lot more respect for that. So... Red Notice by Bill Browder. Oh man. Okay, this is... Uh, autobiography about a businessman who began investing in Russia when Russia opened up. Basically, um, so so good. It like I ate it up. I'm actually planning on listening to it again this year because it was that's one of the few books I was like I have to read that again. Um, so interesting because he started off in a fam. I'll just give like a little introduction. His dad was a flaming communist and this is in north america he was like i want to screw dad because i am a rebellious teenager so i'm going to become the best capitalist i can possibly become and basically like turn his life around from a partying crazy kid because all he wanted to do was kind of stick it to his parents so like terrible guy in some ways and went to harvard i think it it was either that or cambridge like worked his way up by like whining and dining basically Got into one of these crazy schools, became a stockbroker, eventually made some, like, really risky deals in Russia. And then there's, like, this turning point in the book where suddenly he's dealing with Putin and all these, like, Russian oligarchs. And, like, this is a true story. This is is very intense. My eyes are wide in this moment. (laughs) And it just, like, he's taking down Russian oligarchs, exposing their, um, exposing all their corruption, all these different things. And eventually, he's, like, on the same side as Putin. And then there's this turning point where Putin's like, all right, now you're going to try to take me out. And I'll leave it at that, because if you want to read it, it is so good.
1: Wow, wow, wow. Um, It's already downloaded on my phone to be listened to shortly. As soon as Jesse's done his book, actually, we're going to listen to all three of us.
0: All right, uh, The Lives of the Artists by Giorgio Vasari. Um, Actually, give me two seconds while I figure out when this one was actually first published. I believe it was... (laughs) So this was a book that was referenced a lot in that last book I read, uh, <coughs> Michelangelo and the Pope's Ceiling. Um,
1: and well, Owens, uh, looking at that up, allow me to talk more about how to make a hat. Out no, of no, age. so,
0: so, so, so it's it was first published. No, don't do that. Um,
1: <laughs> originally published in 1550,
0: oh, so wow. tail end Renaissance, and <coughs> this guy basically wrote encyclopedia of the Renaissance artists and he actually was a contemporary of some of the later ones. So he could actually talk about how, and he would name drop pretty aggressively about having met people like Michelangelo and stuff like this. And it's really interesting. Um, I read one of the translations, uh, which is apparently a bit edited and apparently I wouldn't want it any other way, but it's, it's huge. And He's actually, it's very, very interesting. He t- walks through all the different artists. He describes paintings they did, stuff like that. It's honestly a really cool book. It's a bit of a beast because um, it's big. And he's talking about so many different guys. You do lose track a little bit of which artists we're talking about right now. But it does kind of show you, and he, he kind of intended to do this way because he does it kind of in order. you he, he does give you this development of Renaissance art. He, he walks you from, like, basically late medieval art through to, like, the peak of what we would consider Renaissance
1: art. It's for the, for the Italian Renaissance. Interesting. Yeah, so cool. A Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century by Brett Weinstein and Heather Hying, who are a married couple. Uh, really, really, really good. Um, it is... Their basic premise of the book is... In the 21st century, we have introduced such immense hyper novelty that we are not designed or prepared to be able to deal with this kind of um, just everything. And you need a really solid evolutionary biological lens in order to view, in order to really understand some of the problems that we face right now. Um. So basically, if you want to make full use of this book you really need to hold to uh, some version of uh, Darwinian evolution. Even if you don't and you utterly reject that, there's so much value to be gained from this book because they just use a lot of like not-too-far-past contemporary examples um, in, in order to shine light on why um, we do like, why we face the problems that we do. So I almost don't even want to give away some of the examples that they use. But they're mind bogglingly interesting. Like how soothers affect wisdom teeth is super fascinating. Um, talking about bones being broken and, and healing the healing processes, why um, somehow half of us need glasses, but like that's not been existing forever. People actually got along perfectly fine in, in like indigenous tribes and stuff, and half of them weren't blind and died because of it, which is really interesting. It's just a very They're, they're, they're through and through scientists and that shows, and they came up with, they come up with very thoughtful, um, I guess, hypotheses about why we face some of the problems that we do in the 21st century through a lens of how we are designed for a different life. You, as a Christian, you got to sort through some of their fundamental convictions, but I think it's worth doing even if you largely disagree with them, basically. Hmm. So that's it. I really would. I love the title. Yeah, that's great, eh? Yeah, that's
2: that's <coughs> maybe maybe my favorite title so far. Hmm. Um, 38 uh, Family Driven Faith by F- Vodi Baccom. Ooh. Big big favorite. So far. Love Vodi Bakham. Have not read. Okay, yeah. Love him as a speaker. First book I've read from him. And also really good. There's definitely points where I'm like, he's a little bit more on the apologetic side than I just am drawn to. But for a parenting book and just like a family, dad's leading. Uh, being intentional, I don't know, mothers in the house. It's just a really good basic Christian family book, and I wish more people would read it. I'm gonna. This this might be like an every other year kind of book. Okay, um, next book I read was The Emperor's New Drugs
0: by Irving Kirsch, um, which we do seem to have a few books
2: in our our lists collectively that seem to be about drugs. This one's not about psychedelics though. Um, really, it's just you and Jake who have the books on drugs here like i don't know if that's good that i'm not reading about it or pretty
0: sure you had some books on love there bro that is true
2: yeah you're also reading books about
1: russians and there's a lot of vodka in those stories so this this book is not
0: about psychedelics it's about uh antidepressants um and it's actually really interesting quite controversial but i i actually the way i went so we were talking earlier about why we read books i literally was like man i love placebos as a concept they are so interesting, right? I would love to be able to talk more about placebos and more competently, right? This is the process we go through, right? So then I'm like, "What's who Who really understands placebos? So Irvin Kirsch is a guy, he works for, well, he was, he was a Yale researcher, um, and he does like clinical stuff, and he does like meta-studies. So, he, you know, he'll go into a study and he'll study the studies, study the process of studies and stuff like that. And so he, he came up as one of the first guys who's like really has a head around placebos, um, it's really interesting though. He then turns out to be someone who's written a couple controversial books mm. in which it's not that he says pl- antidepressants are just placebos, but he, he basically discusses the fact that in the testing of drugs using double blinds, you... Double blind placebos for, for people who... Right, right. We would normally call them like just a placebo test, quite yep. honestly. But a double blind means that neither the patients nor the the doctors who or, or the, the, the researchers who are examining the patients know who's got the real thing and who's got the placebo. The placebo being like a
1: sugar pill. It's not the real drug. Can I walk through that slightly because that's really confusing? Oh, sorry. Go so ahead. There, So maybe you picture three parties: the patient or like people who are doing the being tested on, the people who are testing, and the people who control the background of it all. And so the people who control the background of it all, they know what's what, but they're not interacting with the patients at all. And then neither the doctors or administrators nor the patients know. So it keeps the doctor from somehow like administrating it slightly differently because they know it's the real drug.
0: Or in their notes, because they're just doing
1: basic research,
0: having any bias, right? Right. right. If if they're testing a drug and the doctor thinks this drug is amazing, he might might have that slight bias and not even be aware of it and not even through any ill intention talk up the patients who've got the real thing. Mm. And so that's the reason for a long time now we have used placebos and what specifically the double blind test so that the patients all think they've got the real thing, although they are aware that there are placebos floating around. The doctors don't know who's got what. And then of course the thing is overseen. Um, Basically he talked about the fact that in double blinds, the placebos almost always work nearly as well as the real thing. Because depression, being what it is, it's incredibly susceptible to the placebo effect. He says he said it is absolutely just like he refers to it as the dirty secret. He's a bit of an acerbic writer, like he, he he's a little bit punchy, but he says it's it's absolutely the case that in this context, people know it's really hard to find an, a, a good way to present the data that creates a differentiation between the placebo and the actual drug.
1: Fascinating. He says
0: people have to really, really frame things so that you can see any difference whatsoever between the placebo and the, hmm. and the, uh, the actual essential, uh, you know, ostensibly psychoactive drug, the antidepressant. So now throughout the book, and I would offer this caveat here as well, he's like, I'm not saying you should stop taking your antidepressants. Do not do that. Don't touch that. You know, there's a reason you're on those and it yeah. could be catastrophic if you just jumped off them or something like that, right? And, and he says, he also kind of makes the case, I mean, like regardless, they work. Yeah, right. Whether it's because of the placebo effect or not, it they work. Yeah, and they really do, right? Yeah. But he goes into it at length. Interesting. Very cool. It's just it's very controversial. I I do broadly speaking support the use of antidepressants, and I did going into the book as well. That hasn't changed, but it definitely was. Yeah. He also much more, I think, to my mind, much more controversially challenged our understanding of where depression comes from hmm. and he he says it's a relatively new and relatively unsent to his mind unsound notion that it's all brain chemistry
1: and that depression is dictated by serotonin levels yeah. gotcha 41 together on god's mission d scott hildreth it's a book about how the sbc runs missions that's it
2: Uh, Aragon by Christopher Parlini. Mm. We actually, so I read the whole Inheritance Cycle. Um, amazing, like amazing series. I'm just going to actually throw them all out there right now. Um, Aragon, Eldest, Brisinger, and Inheritance all by Christopher Parlini. And we kind of talked about it already so yeah. I'm just going to leave it. Better than Harry Potter.
0: Disagree. Uh, I have not read those books in a very long time. <laughs> I, I only ever read the first two maybe the third
2: bruh the fourth one is like so good they just so good they just consecutively get better and see
0: i thought that the second one the red cover i can't remember which one that one's called Eldest. eldest disliked it so much go to heck yeah who invited you anyways anyway so like the first one i was like okay whatever, I guess I'll read the second one. I was not that impressed at the time. I, I was a teenager, okay? I, maybe if I revisit it now, I'll be like, oh, you, you, I mean, maybe not, though. You like, child. I mean, if only you'd yeah, for, for, seen how amazing these are. Anyway. <laughs> textbook. <laughs> uh, my next book is The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. <laughs>
1: <So> good <laughs> good good titles. Titles.
0: Um, which is my only Russian novel for the year. I actually, this was recommended to me by Mike Um Or Ostrov. I, I don't know if I recommend it. He's a... He, I feel like maybe I missed something. We recommended it's something that it's really clever and interesting. And while the premise was interesting, basically the devil goes to Moscow and is trying to convince the atheists that, because this was during, during Bolshevik Russia, where people were completely atheist, at least ostensibly, right? He's trying to convince people that he's real. Um Such a good premise That's a it's a fun premise, premise right um, and, he, and he's interacting with these people who are completely secular and, um, and, and post spiritual and here's the devil running around the place acting super powerful and stuff honestly the premise was fun it was very funny there was some very funny stuff in it um, but also there's a lot of just chaos and um, Honestly, there's a weird amount of nudity just for no clear reason a lot of the time. He just, I, I, did, I don't know. I wasn't super impressed and I actually just don't recommend it. All right. Yeah. Cool. And, and if someone actually hears this, I know Micah won't. Um, <laughs> if someone actually hears this and wants to like correct me, I would love to hear what I miss. Because I actually yeah. do trust the, the recommendation yeah. and it didn't work for me but I'd be, yeah. I'd be
1: really happy to hear what I missed. Micah is a, is a very well-read individual. He's so. very well-read yeah. and I don't think he gets his recommendations too lightly. No. Uh, the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Mark Twain. So good. Mm. And what's really brilliant about this book is... Oh, man, it's so good. It's such an interesting commentary on Tom Sawyer because Tom Sawyer does all the Tom sawyer stuff in this book and you understand it's kind of horrible. He's Tom Sawyer in a very Tom Sawyer way, just plays with people's lives. And Huckleberry Finn gets really frustrated because he's caught in this, kind of wants to have fun, kind of wants to be a kid, but also is dealing with serious, serious topics. Mm-hmm. And it's a heavy book. It's a heavy commentary on slavery. Um, and it's, it's just great. It was really, really good. Um, there's more I could say, but I kind of want to
2: keep this rolling. So, Number 40, being a dad who leads John MacArthur. Picked this book up when I found out that I was a father. Woot woot woot! And um, yeah, good book. I know uh, there are John MacArthur haters out there, but uh, <laughs> I'm not one of them.
0: <laughs> uh, Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. What'd also, you think? Also, Mark Twain. Now, this is a book that I started forever ago, and then Jacob would be like, "Oh, and have you read? Have you read this?" I'd be like. I tried it. was well, not that impressed. And then Jacob would lose his mind on me for a few minutes. And then like a few months later, a year later, Jacob, would be like, but have you read Connecticut Yankee? And I'd be like, no. And he'd be like, what? And I'd be like, I didn't really, I mean, I've started, but I wasn't really impressed. And then he'd lose his mind on me a little bit. And, and I don't know if he was like forgetting that we'd already had this conversation. Oh, no, 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 Or if he was just revisiting it. Yeah, fresh outrage. Because he just wants to reiterate that I've made a mistake. Um, And? And I made a mistake. You were quite right. It is a really good book. Um, It's very (laughs) silly. The ending is profoundly unsatisfactory. Um, But it is honestly, it's such a funny, whimsical book. It doesn't really end. It's just like, oh. Okay, (laughs) it's not in it's not like the mechanics of how he goes back and forth (laughs) in time is so nonsensical but it's also so not the point that it would be a dumb thing to get caught up on right um it's just it's funny it's whimsical there's not really anything broad to be taken from it it's not profound no um but it is a fun it's very funny it's a fun piece of fiction yeah like although it's more grown up and it's longer chances are the adventures of huckleberry finn are much more profound oh yeah right dude huckleberry finn is not
1: uh fun read right it's a it's a it's a very complex book Mm -hmm. yeah that's it five views on biblical inerrancy again zondervan bunch of different guys contributed to this um if you're interested in biblical inerrancy read it it's phenomenal like it's really really read jacob's paper on it i did write a paper on it it's very so-so um yeah it's uh it's a great book i honestly really respect like almost all the writers who contributed to it so it's a good stance
2: to have going into a book. Uh, Number 41, something needs to change by David Platt. So interestingly, this one is basically his journal journals, walking through the Himalayan mountains with a missionary, had a buddy invite him on this trip. And it's, it's a very different book structure. It's super easy to read. It's like literally the font is in handwriting for a lot of it because it's, it's like designed to be like, A demonstration of his journals and then he's got some reflections and some prayers in it i read this right when vaccine passports uh a lot of like political things were coming up and i was feeling very anxious i read this and i feel like it just refocused my perspective on like what do i want to be about what what is there going on in the world that is worth being outraged What do you over? want to be about? <laughs> yes. Does that not make sense? Oh, no, it makes sense. Oh, it makes so much sense. On a couple different levels. Because like, you are
0: about, about. About. <laughs> You're about being about.
1: You're about being about.
0: I'm about. sorry. I'm in the
2: middle of like pouring my soul out. You can you tell like, that I am uh, much more advanced about. as a
0: dad based on that joke. <laughs> <going>. <laughs>
2: Anyways, aside from what I want to be about, um, something needs to change. Like, the title is kind of provocative. <coughs> I would I would highly recommend it to people, though. Just especially if you are in a what place What was the of, title again? Something Needs to Change mm. by David Platt. It's an easy, easy read, which makes it a high recommend for me. Yeah. And it's just a good refocusing book of being broken and outraged over the things that are that you should be broken and outraged over. Um, and just his experience helped me at least to empathize and experience that. Cause I can see numbers of the amount of unreached people there are in the world. And that like cool. Like honestly the more the higher the number is, the less I actually feel it. Which is kind of horrifying. That's stats for you. Exactly. Yeah. And he personalizes this and gives some examples of different Christians businessmen, students, pastors, all different people from walks of life just deciding to give up their lives to pursue something that was, yeah, in my opinion, a greater pursuit of a career. So, would recommend. Brilliant. Um, my next book was
0: War of Art by Stephen Pressfield.
1: Have you guys read this? I, yeah, we talked about it. I, ju- yeah. I read it. It's on my list, actually, too, so we can knock this out here.
0: Yeah, um, it was... Basically, I guess he was trying to get into the theory of like how to be a productive artist, whatever you are. Stephen Pressfield is a novelist, Um, and the the war of art is the war of you being productive despite everything in you that makes you slothful and whatever.
1: Yeah. Um, it's a little more philosophical than it's that. It's so
0: much more philosophical. It's, than it's that. not like a to-do book. It's, it's, it's the it's, philosophy. It's not even like a self-help book. No. At all. Like he's not helpful, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he is so philosophical. He's talking about the muses and how he like starts his day praying to the muses before he goes to write and stuff like this. Like he's, he's very, oh, honestly, I really enjoyed it. On that philosophical level, where I'm like, oh, mm. wonderful, like like all kinds of interesting things going on here, um, but then on, on perhaps a more practical level, I was like, <laughs> this is so navel gazy, <clears throat> so pseudo-intellectual. I, I I I can't handle the amount of nonsense here. Yeah, I
1: we're all, we're all creative people here. I resonated with large parts of it. Because oh, I was like for sure. I'm like, he, oh yeah, no, that's familiar, man. Yeah, and and yeah. like, <laughs> I don't know how this fits into my theology, but the muse exists things creative things come to you it's very it's a very strange the creative process is a very strange thing Mm. but yeah he just had so much nonsense in that book that i was like all right whatever (laughs) there we go yeah so that's about it like he had a couple insights i was like yes as a creative person i that resonates and then the next sentence would be like but that's weird so
0: yeah oh
1: so i should do the next book i my list before I hit it off. Next book, None Greater
2: by Matthew Barrett. Uh, it's a book about the attributes of God. It was good. Cool. Called Grace by Norman Shepherd. Um Didn't love it. It was a pretty short book on covenants. I disagreed with it, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it either. So
0: Okay. Uh, my next book was Lilith by George MacDonald. Lilith? Um, oh, Lilith. Lilith. Like the uh, first wife of Adam, Um, which, okay, for anyone unfamiliar with that particular little chunk of Hebrew mysticism from way back when, there's this notion in the, uh, it's hard to create a proper distinction here. But anyway, in Jewish mysticism, Hebrew mysticism that Adam was, (coughs) was married before Eve. He was married to someone named Lilith, and that thing did not work out. And then God created Eve. Um, And so it's a notion and it's a notion that like has little surges of popularity as a cultural thing. I don't know to what extent, if ever, it was actually held to be um, Mm -hmm. biblically true in the same way that we would discuss canon or inerrancy or anything like that. I think it was much more of a philosophical, mystical uh, conception, but I could be wrong with that. Um, but this book by George MacDonald is only tangentially related to that, although it's the title. It's bizarre. It's just a very weird book. George MacDonald wrote some very weird fiction. Mm. Yeah. And it is supposed to be the first wife of Adam in the book. She is mm. the villain, but it's just so weird. There, George MacDonald was a heretic um, and he, he believed some stuff that was crazy. Uh, definitely a universalist. Uh, he had some very fun notions, but I absolutely love the mind and heart of George MacDonald. And when I say heretic, just for the record, I mean, he held some ideas that I believe to be A, unorthodox and B, false. Um, and so, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm like committing him to hell or anything that we be out of my
1: purview, obviously. You 20- can be saved and still maintain heretical beliefs. Right. Well, if I and assume thank to, God.
0: to some degree we probably all do. Anyway, um but i do love the heart and the mind of the man so did c.s lewis c.s lewis was obsessed with george MacDonald. um in fact c.s lewis wrote the introduction to this book um yeah it's, just, it's very interesting probably there's i actually wish i had a copy here because i would lo- if i did have a copy here i would actually read one of the scenes from it there's just this scene towards the, the end where he's discussing the levels of repentance which is really interesting huh. yeah the,
1: the, the layers of experiencing repentance uh next book on my list, The Trinity, an introduction by Scott Swain. Twas good. Twas an introduction on the Trinity. Nice. I think delighting the Trinity is probably better. I haven't read it, but I like the ethos that they go into it. This book was great. If you want to learn about the Trinity,
2: short, punchy. Nice. Finally Free by Heath Lambert. Ooh, ooh. This I feel like we've talked about this book before. <coughs> if not this is just such a good book for getting at the heart of the issue with pornography. It is addressed to the struggler, um, but also has a couple appendixes for like, if you're uh, the husband or the wife uh, of the struggler, Um, it's, it just really, it pulls back and gets at the heart of it and is asking questions like, what is godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow? What does real repentance look like? So would really, really recommend reading it also read it if you just want to be equipped so that that's high say mm. really great book I have not read it I would B- big <coughs> big gasp face from John Michael that just really surprises me okay it, I mean like it's not like you are a terrible person to own but I just you'd have thought I would have read I that. would have thought you would have read that yeah no, I, I've heard it recommended so many times yeah. okay and it's not long like it's Short. I might even own it okay it's worth taking the time to yeah because yeah. it's definitely counseling oriented
0: yeah yeah but amazing um my next book i'm almost done with my list now um i'm getting there yeah uh, memoirs of extraordinary public delusion and the madness of crowds by charles mckay good night sir the titles Th- i think that actually might be the winning title on, and i know good. it's on my list and i'm saying that but i, I think it might be the winning title um it's actually it was a giant book so in audiobook terms it was a 26 hour book. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not the longest book that we discussed here today um but it is a longer book, right? Um I don't know that I would recommend it strongly, but I am so glad that I read it. Um it's it's long. It, he he's basically talking about large scale hysteria obviously, like mass hysteria. Um irrational behavior within a population and what triggers that, even though like retrospectively, or even if you could just get out of it at the time and look on it from the outside, you'd be like, obviously this is insane. What we're doing here is nuts, but he, and he doesn't get into the why or the how of it. He just discusses instances of it, hmm. which is so interesting for like 26 hours. Um, but he'll, he'll pick a thing. He'll pick like financial, like they're like weird stock trading things that went on in France during the 18th century when everything was unsettled. And he'll talk about like how there was insane financial behavior going on at the time. And he'll talk about that for a while. And then he'll talk about witch burning for a while. And he'll talk about the, the hunt for the philosopher's stone for a while and everything that people did to try to figure out how to turn lead into gold. And he'll talk about that for like hours. And then he'll move on to the next thing and talk about that for dueling, um, like killing people in an organized contest. Uh, he'll talk about that for hours. And it is actually, I'm still processing it, but it's definitely one of the most impactful books for my year. Huh. Yeah. When a book's impactful, like it's hard even to tell if it's good. I'm probably going to write a book
1: in response. Really? Yeah. Do it. Yeah. I'd love that. It'll be a lot shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting the books that you don't even know if they're good or bad, they just hit you hard. Yeah. There's other books that are i think objectively really good but it's just like okay right oh
0: and I'll, like the last thing like charles mckay the guy who wrote it scottish yeah. journalist so what's amazing is he's, <sighs> he's writing it very academically and very professionally but the entire time his his sarcasm is coming through so hard it is like you can tell it's actually quite funny reading him because he's like just holding back as hard as he can it's hilarious
1: nice here is Endurers by Kevin Van Hooser. I like Kevin Van Hooser. The Book didn't impact me much. It's about pastoring. I think it's because I read it on um, online. I or, like on a ebook. I Ugh. hate reading ebooks. Strongly I dislike through. ebooks, man. I can't focus on it. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me being a dip, but I didn't get much from the book.
2: Do you hate e-readers the same way you uh, like? Would you feel the same way about reading on a computer? Because I spent hours and hours for school. And like this whole summer of doing like school for a year and a half straight, I just had to like get comfortable reading off a screen, even though I hated it before.
0: Yeah, it's probably a skill that I could work on. Yeah, like like, like anything else, I think I could get used to it. But I first blush, I I don't none of the books on my list were were electronic read. Mm. Um, they were all audiobook or physical copy. <clears throat> okay, I really struggle to enjoy that experience. I see that.
1: Uh, I take back. Actually, I read. Um story of your life by Ted Cheng on online. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. So
2: hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Uh, maybe it's, maybe it's cause that book was excellent.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Transforming homosexuality. Number 44 by Denny Burke and Heath Lambert. I would definitely recommend this one. This one, uh, again, it's, this one's a little bit more propositional. Like they're arguing something, but their basic argument is like w- taking the assumption that homosexuality, like, practicing homosexuality is wrong based on the bible that that's their starting point so they it frees them up to do a lot more in that book for what they're specifically trying to say so they the first half i'd say is on how to change and then the second half is is just about like digging into the heart so there's actually a lot of similarities between uh transforming homosexuality and finally free Probably because Heath Lambert was co authoring both, but just it, it's not the most helpful book on homosexuality, but it is very helpful on what change looks like, uh, just for sin in general. And then they do apply it into homosexuality. So it's definitely recommended. Huh.
0: I'll have to get some of Heath Lambert under my belt. All right, this is my last book. Ooh. And this one I listened to on audiobook with like. My wife, my brother-in-law, mm-hmm. a couple of my sisters, as we are sitting around the place, December 31st, staying up until midnight. Oh, uh, and so this is just, we just decided to listen to a book as a group, and it was The Inimitable Jeeves by P.G. Woodhouse.
1: Nice. Very, very good book. Just I, I think I need some P.G. Woodhouse in my, yeah. In yeah. my, in my repertoire. Uh, next is War of Art, which we talked about. 48. How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Such a good book. Everybody should read that book. Oh, okay. Phenomenal. Wow. It's 10% a little clinical at times. Because even the title, it's a little bit like, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, Okay. And it's a little bit like that. Sounds like How to Be a Manipulator, but okay. Yes. (laughs) But on the whole, it's really good. It's just really thoughtful Classic time honored ways to just build connections and relationships with people. And it's, yeah, I really liked it. It was great.
2: <coughs> uh, number 46. Uh, so I'm just going to lump a bunch of books here Aeschylus, book two, Sophocles, book one, Sophocles, <coughs> book two, and Euripides, book two. And basically, these are just like different compendiums of their plays. Aeschylus, Sophocles, and Euripides were like the big three. Uh, ancient Greek tragedians they also wrote satyr plays and other things so these were like full sized books but they're inside the why it's like one and two and three is because they're part of like larger volumes of all their other plays so definitely good but kind of a different sort of read I
1: love you like satyr plays you know just gonna put that in there like no one else knows what the heck that is um, did you read any Greek comedies read one, okay, read one? The, the Cyclops Okay, yeah, I read the Cyclops is good, dude. Lysistrata or the frogs, like there's so I many great. The frogs. the frogs is hilarious. Um, Lys- Are those all Aristophanes? Yeah, uh, Aristophanes wrote the clouds. I think he wrote Lysistrata. I'm not sure. So there's there's frogs, Lysistrata, clouds, um, uh, Cyclops. There's a few oh, Cyclops yeah. is Maybe a satyr play. Kind of Yeah, thing. that's kind of weird. Break some categories. Um, so you're 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 out. You're just gonna listen for the next little bit as we plow through these.
0: Well, obviously, I'm going to say snarky things. Okay,
1: good. Yeah. Um, but
0: I am done with my list. Okay, cool, cool. I, this is the point at which I have to sit here in shame, actually, for the
1: remainder of it. Okay. And this is what's going to urge me to read more books in the following year. Nice. Yeah. Anyways, Jim Michael, shall we do our touring of our immense intellectual capabilities as we continue to... Insofar as they exceed my own? <laughs> no, I have like only a few books left. Um, Rescue Plan, Deepak Reju and Jonathan Holmes. Uh, it is the first part of their... Two part book on pornography, very good. It's it's what's really clear is like it is a very well done synthesis of a lot of books that have come before them. Like it's built on the shoulders of um, of Tim Challies' book, uh, Sexual Detox. It's built on the shoulders of Heath Lambert's Finally Free. It's it's kind of it's it's really honing and clarifying a lot of those arguments, and I, I think they do a great job. Not to devalue them by saying, oh, you just copied. But like, they get to a point where it's like, okay, we've written on this. I think we know what's up. And they just do a really good job of like, okay, how do we, what's a big fault? A lot of gender, lack of gender neutral language and examples. So they really bring that forward. By gender neutral, I mean uh, both genders. Like you need, (laughs) not gender neutral. But like you need to talk about this in a uh, context that women struggle with pornography. It's extremely hard topic especially because it's more taboo than men struggling with pornography. And they really bring that forward and do a great job of talking about it.
2: Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love by Edward T. Welsh. This is a good book. It's a counseling book, but I I kind of read it like I would read another book where I kind of went through it pretty quick. And I regret doing that. So I think this might be like, go back to it and take my time with it. Cause it's just not the kind of book that can be blazed through it. I needed to take time with it. Um, and I didn't. So, but overall good book,
1: Steve jobs, uh, Walter Isaacson. All right. This is what you promised us. One of the most impactful books I read this year. Incredible book. Steve jobs was potentially one of the most brilliant visionaries destructive, passionate. The guy, his understanding of market, of like market consumer behavior, design, his his obsession with the beauty, with beauty and perfection and design. He revolutionized the music industry, the animation industry, the computer industry, the shopping industry. Like that, like the app, like the i the apps as we know them come from him. Computers, like graphical interfaces as we know them, come from him. What like in, it's almost. Staggering to comprehend how much that guy's influenced the technology that we have. A horrible, horrible human being. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Like a terror. Like, read this biography. It is fascinating to get an insight into someone who has a pathological manipulator a pathological liar in the truest sense of the word he would lie manipulate twist reality warp things to what he wanted to be but he was so good at it that he manifested reality in there's people like them manifest your own destiny yeah whatever he did that he ripped and twisted and warped reality in order to fit what he wanted and took the rest of the world with him in, in some capacity somehow he managed to influence apple so much that they in my mind objectively make the most beautiful equipment to date They're the biggest company in the world. Like what that guy accomplished is insane, but like the cost, unbelievably immoral, man. Horrible. Like he just had no grasp on people's feelings of compassion, nothing. Everything was built around him. His insecurities, his desire to prove himself. And for me, it's been really interesting studying him through that book um, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, listening to that podcast and, and looking at Mark Driscoll, um, other people that I know and myself, and seeing the flaws that permeate someone like Driscoll and Steve Jobs that are magnified and manifested in their all their flaming agony, and seeing seeing in that light seeing myself a little bit more clearly and seeing some of the same things so it was interesting it's like for me i it remains to be seen whether or not i have the talent and the gift of some of those men but i absolutely have a lot of their flaws
0: interesting so when you say that you see yourself in here you catch a glimpse of yourself in here mm-hmm. are you saying that you're seeing some of the same innate qualities of character
1: or are you seeing that basically you're you're saying you're seeing a warning for yourself, both? So what's really, a lot of these are mirror coins. I think a lot of what made, let's say Driscoll, Mark Driscoll, and take, take Steve Jobs and Mark Driscoll, very, very similar characters in a lot of ways. I think a lot of the gifts that they had, I have. In the same amount, hardly. Those guys accomplished an incredible amount, and we will see where my life ends up. But what I'm very sure is, very, very sure, a lot of the flaws that those two men had, um, a lot of the way they, they twisted and, and warped reality, a lot of the ways they lied to themselves, the narratives they told themselves, the arrogance, the desire to create, to create something that matters, that lasts, to impact people, the stories they told to other people in order to shape what they wanted to be done. A lot of that I can see myself. And it's very, very humbling, especially in the case of Driscoll, because he articulated very clearly what he didn't want the, to be and what should be, what is wrong, and then proceeded to become that. Which is a lesson to me. It's just because is that could, what you're doing right now? Are you very clearly articulating
0: what you don't want to be, but then later on today you're going to be that? Uh, no, I won't. And the reason why I'm not going to is because I have friends like you two. Well, who that's, will, that's that's kind of like the next step of the question, then, isn't it? Is it
1: like what's 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 preventative here then? Uh, a the Holy Spirit, right? Because le- legitimately, like, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to stop my life from being a train wreck. Um, but I think one of the most important, the the most important fundamentals. Is that I have high quality friends with integrity and strength to be able to course correct my life and each other's lives. Okay, and and how do you in, how do you invite course
0: correction? Because I also have a lot of high integrity friends, and hopefully I can be a high integrity friend. But the only way I've ever course corrected someone is by through confrontation. Yep. Or okay, so that's not true. Confrontation is one way. Another way is like influence. Another mm-hmm. way is like. You know what I mean? But at some point in the story, the rubber hits the road, Jake starts going down. He starts giving in Got to some of bridge. the temptations, mm-hmm. right? And if you start having a huge impact, the temptation will grow with your impact, right? Yes. Yes. And so as you're scaling up in that, how do you scale up accountability? So you know it's fascinating? Because you can't have like this little hometown level of accountability and hope that that's mm. going to match the energy level of high scale impact.
1: There's a level to which I'm not even I'm not quite sure I agree with you. Because yeah. I think a lot of the fundamentals of how I live my life right now, when I really try to, and having accountability and people that will point out my flaws and and we have those good conversations. Yeah, yeah. To some degree you're right, they have to scale. But I think the small everyday choices in the words you pick, the things you tell yourself, uh, the everyday habits, the disciplines, the little ways that you can choose a position, it may be a small limelight. But how you use that small limelight, those fundamentals at the level that I'm at now of the quote unquote influence that I have now are going to be the same if I lead I'm leading a very successful church, write books, blah 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 blah. I don't I think I think someone like Driscoll, If you look at Driscoll, That guy was that guy was preaching. I think they had like 16 million downloads of sermon at one point. I think I've, someone checked me on that. That guy was huge. Right. But I think the but his flaws were manifested themselves, and they could be fixed or, or dealt with in almost the exact same way I should and hope to deal with mine. Right. So, so you, you li- feel like if he just had that friend group that could have been like, hey, man, what are you doing? I, lies don't really scale. Like I mean, they scale, but like it's it's still a lie whether you tell it about how you did your devotions the morning before or how you got the information for the book that's selling like mad. You mean the
0: essence of the lie or the lie itself? Because there's, there's definitely the bigger essence.
1: lies than others, right? But a bigger lies in scope of it, maybe not in, in, in matter. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to get too f- f- philosophical on this, I suppose, because we've, we've got some. Uh, we yeah, well, we're running out of time. I just find it very interesting. Like
0: you talk it about, like, Jessica, and you talk about jobs, and you, and you talked about Musk earlier, and you're yeah. talking about yeah. people who had immense
1: power, and they, had, they were probably not easy to approach these guys. No. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you know what's interesting? Sorry, building on that, they were not easy to approach at all. And they leveraged that. Whereas I think if you're someone who's naturally maybe th- built of thick enough stuff to weather the storms of, of getting to a successful, powerful place, I think you need to understand that and then go the extra mile to make yourself more approachable. So, see,
0: that could be part of the scaling that I'm talking about yeah. then, right? Like, because say, say you go off, you start like, you've got like a million downloads of sermon or something crazy, right? Mm, terrifying. Ter- terrifying. Dude, you might not even be practically reachable. Yeah. You yeah. might not have time to talk to John Michael and I. Yeah. Let alone to have us speaking into your life in a way that actually hits.
1: That's right? super important. And yeah. so
0: at some point you would have to become much more deliberate in your mm. pursuit of accountability. It's maybe scale is the wrong way to discuss it, mm. but definitely more
1: <clears throat> definitely more purposeful, more deliberate. Mm. So it, it, and if my life in this theoretical world, is being taken up by a level of bandwidth that is just now bigger. I need to intentionally, kind of nice. an yeah, nice slice of that to say. I need to fly my buddies in every once in a while to spend a bit of time with me, or whatever that looks like. You or, fly me in wherever you need to, dude. Dude, if I'm okay, if I'm hitting, a, if this podcast is hitting a million downloads, there will be a res, res revenue stream involved, yeah, and it will be almost dedicated to flying you down and saying hi. Amazing, I, am. I
0: need to be flown places. <laughs>
2: Okay, <laughs> number fifty-one, Anna oh my Karenina goodness. by Leo Tolstoy. Oh my goodness, so much Russian! I think this is my last Russian one. I think i finished Remember, this one. No Russian. Sorry. <laughs> well, okay, this is a long audiobook. This was, I think, forty-two hours long. Like it's just like whoa, a lot of audio. By the time I was done, I was that like, is a beast. Thank you for being yeah. done. That book. Russian literary tradition, man. Thick book. And like I will say. He did not need those many words. Like, like you didn't... There's no way... You, you can tell words. he's being paid by the word. You can tell that's what was going on. <laughs> 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 However, it was very good. It was good? It was good. I would still not recommend it to most people. Micah highly recommended this book. And while I don't diss his recommend, it's just most people can't read did that. Micah going around the place recommending Russian novels? I think that's all he recommends. Oh, man. Anyways, it like around it had cool ideas i missed a book on my list
0: i'm, I'm gonna do it after you're done okay i, I literally just got remembered Mind well it, go ahead i'm done now no no good go on.
2: <laughs> no i i it's a really cool big discussion but we don't have time for it right now
0: cool the cool. the next book on my list that i i, I skipped is between the emperor's new drugs and master margarita it was just right there uh the pre-raphaelite dream mm. um which is a book that i read this very small book um but probably one of the more influential books for me, actually. It's just following the lives of the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood uh, from the mid 1800s, which are a group of artists who, yeah, very interesting. Just no way to get
1: into it right now, but cool. V- like a lot of conversations came out of that. Nice. Uh, Rescue Skills, Deepak Raju and Jonathan Holmes, part two of their two part book on the subject. This one was oriented towards someone who's helping someone who's struggling with pornography. Great book. I think I enjoyed it more than the first one. Um, Good, 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 helpful, solid skills if you're helping someone who's struggling with pornography. So, great.
2: Uh, 54, Ordinary by Michael Horton. <clears throat> I want to take... I'm going to try to skip over all the ones to get a little bit of time for this. I read Ordinary and Radical in in relation to each other. Um, obviously, the two names have irony, but I'm curious. Jake, you've read both? Yeah. Owen, oh, have you read uh, either one of them? Neither. Okay. Um. I respect both men a lot. I read ordinary because it was a lot of people are reading it. A lot of young people that I knew and it was being yeah, put forward. And I just wanted to compare it against radical because it felt like ordinary must've been a commentary on radical because radical was written first by David Platt for context. Um, I just, I have a lot of love and respect for David Platt. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to read ordinary and then I'm going to read radical. I was kind of disappointed by ordinary, not because it didn't have great things, but it felt like a critique of the book that wasn't actually written. And I wanted to like write an essay or something like, or an article and like, I don't know, put it somewhere because I felt like it's quite important. If you only read ordinary, you will infer so many things. So was it a direct response? So it was never directly articulated. Not then. not explicitly. But here's why I would argue it is an explicit response. The title, one punchy thing that's the direct opposite of ordinary. And they're both popular books. And they're both popular books. But number two, the cover designs are exactly the same. The same burnt orange with white font. The same white font and the same like single line. It is like... This sounds like a conspiracy theory, just so you know. This sounds like...
1: (laughs) My beard is being stroked.
2: I'm just going to leave it... I'm
0: going to break out my red yarn. (laughs) And we're going to make a board right here on this wall.
1: (laughs) All I can see is the meme right now in my mind. Someone grab a Polaroid, darn it. We need to make some photos. And they
2: need to be blurry. (laughs) (laughs) All of that aside, look... Um, (laughs) Conspiracy theories aside, ordinary had has you. You make a very good, compelling case. They were is almost definitely a response, right? That's I yeah. feel fairly confident in that. Okay, ordinary makes a really good point that the Christian life is a daily thing. It is those daily tasks, those principles of godliness that happen boots on the ground, yep. not just in those inspiring moments of like, yep. big existential whatever. However, that's not what Radical's talking about. Radical is talking about the ordinary life of the Christian means denying oneself, taking up one's cross, and following Christ. And that in and of itself, in the culture, is radical. And he's not arguing that everybody has to get up, sell all their possessions, and move to Africa and live like a poor person. But he's saying, why aren't you at least considering it? Right. G.K. Chesterton made a... I I I can't... remember it so I can't quote it but J. A. Justin had a great comment
0: on that exact thing where it's like at some point holding to the cardinal virtues becomes its own rebellion against society right and it's that essential idea that's like ah being boring and stodgy and all this stuff he's like eventually it becomes so common to dismiss what we used to hold dear that holding it dear becomes its own exciting radical rebellious Mm. deviation from the norm (sighs) right
2: yeah and G.K. doesn't said it so much more beautifully because he's Chesterton, in. right? Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, Ordinary touches on uh, not specifically Mark Driscoll, but it's getting at a little bit like the celebrity pastor thing. So that's another critique that I was like, "That's good," but then he like was like, he connected these like, yeah, pastors who are doing more damage than good, but then slapped it right alongside another example of like people selling their homes and going to do missions or something like that it's like those are not the same things like very weird comparison it's you know mark driscoll also this guy who went to venezuela to (laughs) preach the gospel and i I don't want to like put words into the book's mouth but there was many many times where there was like it felt like bad argumentation because you were trying you were putting two things together and allowing the association to import something about meaning to those things so it just was not great and then reading radical that was like once again i felt god like retooling myself to ask big questions about is this life about me what who owns my possessions like uh, i don't know i I feel very strongly on this that's kind of why i want to like directly hit the head on both of these love it
1: yeah i read both too um actually right around the same time as well like probably within a month of each other um did not enjoy ordinary really at all, to be honest. And what I what I really didn't like about it most is that I like the kind of like the premise, actually. I like the premise and I haven't read it. Yeah. But I'm sitting here going,
0: Yes, there's yeah. so much beauty in the ordinary, exactly. simple Christian
1: life. And and, and especially don't think that your effectiveness as a Christian is determined by if you're marching in Venezuela helping orphans, right. like you, and, and or you've got glam going on, exactly. Yeah. And and Lewis does an amazing, like, Screw Tape Letters does an amazing job of, of talking about this when Screw Tape's talking about like make sure that your you know your your patient feels s- like this sort of weird whooshy wooshy compassion for the world, but is mean and bitter to like their neighbor cause then it's exactly where we want him. Like there's the ordinary compassion that you have. The ordinary virtue that you have is like actually the nuts and bolts of the Christian life. So like on that level, that's such a cool, that's such a great book. But like literally the subtitle for ordinary is sustaining faith in a radical restless
2: world. So like, yeah, it's like explicitly. <laughs> yeah. Also, I just find it ironic because like we filmed, a short documentary called Ordinary Commission advocating this. Mm. But I think a lot of people would argue that our perspective would be more like you're characterized by like how radically you live your life. And I just sort of want to be like, those things are not diametrically opposed. Those things work in relationship.
1: Next book. Let's, uh, we're home stretch here um, for me at least reading. Well, black Issa Macaulay um i could talk for about 10 minutes on this and i don't want to i like esau i really want him at the table of the conversation in so much as you know a, a white 24 year old gets to say on this matter i i like the conversation i thought it was good i have a deep and this isn't doesn't mean big but i guess it is i have a deep 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 problem with the how he fundamentally structures identity and I really like the conversation. I like how he builds a black ecclesial tradition. I I think there's there's a lot of really thoughtful things about this book. Really good things that I quite liked. But ultimately, I think he builds a black identity as the primary, a black Christian identity, which is awesome. Like it's good. It's like part of an ecclesial tradition, part of the gospel. Like he really wants to be orthodox in the in the mainstream way, like in the, the best way. He's he's I think he's a solid Christian dude. But he still makes the black heritage as the primary identity, and you just run into problems, and like problems of how does that de facto make me structured with white identity? A lot of things. Whereas, and this was interesting because I just recently listened to um, John Piper's a, a, a sermon from Piper at Cross, where he just catastrophically drove home that our identity in Christ supersedes and is the foundation of how we see each other over your racial identity. And you can't actually love someone's racial, like through their racial heritage, their trauma until you first have a common ground in identity in Christ. In I, I have to look at a black brother and say, you are first and foremost, my brother in Christ. That is both of our shared primary identity inside of that conversation I really want to listen to your heritage I want to listen to your story I want to understand like the hurt that's that's come to you generationally I want to know that cuz that's part of me loving you and then and then moving that conversation where it needs to go but if I primarily see you as the victim or primarily see me as as an oppressive christian sort of thing you're blurring categories it's just it's not good and I'm saying I'm speaking a little bit out of my wheelhouse I've only read so much on this I'm I'm not well-versed in this, but I'm just, yeah, I, I, I was really worried. And this is in the context of a book I, I would pretty, I, if you understand my, my res- reservations, i am pretty happily recommend. There's a lot of things he brings out that are good, but I think that it's a flawed book and I like it. I don't, yeah. That's the best I can do. I think,
2: um, please forgive me if I did not quite articulate that well. I have three more fantasy books. Uh, all by Andrew Klavan. Uh Andrew Clavin. So he's uh, actually a political. Yeah, I've been following Andrew Clavin since before Daily Wire days. He's the oh, ball, he's okay, the bald dude, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, he's a bald dude. Uh, Christian
0: guy, like I think. He's bit, Ost- ostensibly, yeah. Yeah, nice. ostensibly is not a fair word. He's he's,
2: but he's not. He's by he's, he's not very radical Christian. Yes, put it that way. And he wrote Another Kingdom, Nightmare Feast, and Emperor's Sword. So these were great fantasy books. However, there are definitely qualms. There's some parts in it that I was like, mm, I would have to rip that out if it was if I was going to keep that book in my house for my kids. So, and yet there's some like Christian imagery, especially in the last book, that is just so cool. That and even the way he phrases some things sometimes, where it's like very clearly informed by scripture. Um, so, I really I had enjoyed. no idea Clavin wrote fantasy books. He writes tons. You should look up look up. Andrew Clavin, he's got a website and he's got tons of books and a lot of them are fantasy more, more like costume. I knew he wrote, I knew he wrote like mystery stories. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're right. It's more almost all mystery stories. Oh, okay. Okay. But then he dabbled into fantasy here, but this is like fantasy meets mystery. Ooh. Anyways, hello.
1: (laughs) Next book. Um, second to last for me, the final book was, or second to last. Sorry. This is getting a long podcast boys. (laughs) Uh, we're at at four hours. Um, the Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin. Boom, dense, dense book. Have not have not finished. Yeah, I don't even know if I want to give my opinions. Um, I was surprised at how insulting he is. Honestly, yes, culture. Yes, it was part of the time. Yes, that's how people talk there. Yes, I understand. There's context. On and on and on and on. But you still can't get past the reality that he called people asses constantly. He said that this that the things they teach are like refuse and dung. He const like Calvin constantly lacked grace. He he like religiously insulted the people he disagreed with. He called like he calls like his chapter on 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 infant baptism. He basically just calls baptists like liars from the devil says that their ideas are of unclean spirits just on and on and on page after page almost there was i don't think two or three pages would go by where he wouldn't insult someone in a way that my parents would be uncomfortable with me using right and i i think that's damaging i'm not gonna lie there's, there's better materials later that don't insult people and don't that, even even apart that. from his views, it's it's not the way we should conduct ourselves. No, right. And, and I understand the gravitas that comes with him being the first person to think through a lot of these stuff, and he's pulling together like a, like bits of Aquinas and a lot. He's how heavily, old was he when he wrote that book? He was very young, wasn't he? Uh, he did so many editions. That's the struggle. Like the first version of it was very very small, and then he built it over his lifetime. I think. Gotcha. Um, he's pulling a lot of Augustine stuff. Like it's 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 great. It's it's of course the it's, institutes the Christian religion. It's huge. I. There's better stuff now, frankly. There's better stuff now that are more thoughtful, that have pulled more from different sources, including him. And I don't think he yeah, I just I didn't enjoy reading lots of it, to be honest. I was so royally sick of him just insulting everyone he disagreed with. And it just it got in the way of me reading the book. And yeah, I would struggle reading a book
0: that was contemporary where the author did that. Oh yeah, sure. Gosh. Right. And unless we have some reason to elevate one human above another human in a way that semi deifies them, like yeah. that, that should be compelling to us. Like you said, though, it is true of the time though. Like he yeah. wasn't, he wasn't the only one talking that way back then. Sure. People, they also burned people over religious ideas
1: back then. Yeah. Too. And, and maybe honestly, like a real talk that should actually make you have a pause and think through how they conceptualize their theology. I, I, don't know what that means exactly, but it's so it, alien to us. It to have someone articulate a beautiful view of grace or or God's will and then also be very comfortable with burning heretics. I get there's I get there's cultural context, but like just big pause for me. Um yeah, I don't want to say too much more before I get
2: myself in more hot water, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh I read it. I read Kelvin. <laughs> Do you want to save your last one? Right. Do you want to save your last one? Because, like, I can, we, yeah, can, we both can, yeah.
1: Yeah, blast through the next few
2: years. Okay. Uh, Presbytopia, what it means to be a Presbyterian, Ken Golden. Not pause, a, pause. <laughs> I think that, take, that might be a contender for one of my favorite names. Okay, it's definitely the funniest title here. <laughs> <for> Presbytopia. <laughs> it, like, honestly, is just a solid, small book of, like, the basics of Presbyterianism. Okay. And a lot of it is just, like, normal, every Christian thing. And then I'd say the last quarter is like okay specific presbyterian stuff gotcha uh for context i joined a presbyterian church so that's partly why i want to do some more reading in it takes some yeah deepen my knowledge yeah and he read all these books on baptism
1: and covenant theology so that he would join the presbyterian church that would be misleading <laughs> um what a cutie. I just watched this guy. Man, oh man.
0: Just the way he said it, that would be misleading. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Like, film that stuff. Give me a gif. You know what I'm saying? I love this kid. My wife is cringing.
2: <laughs> oh, Owen, no what one a gives charmer. Compliment. Nobody gives
1: compliments like you do. <laughs> Jess, how do you feel about Owen flirting with your husband? I'm not. I'm not Jess. Am I wrong, though? He is. Isn't he a cutie patootie? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Jess and and I agree Wrap this this
2: up Before like Owen's tired brain Like says something More salacious Um I hope that was not that Anyway Keep talking (laughs) Uh The Purity Principle By Randy Alcorn Short book Extremely practical Another Born on Uh Book on pornography But Definitely recommend It's I think it's 100 pages So Oh wow Good book Yeah Yeah, Very good A booklet If you will A booklet Almost yeah. yeah Yeah Uh, Rescue Plan by Deepak Raju and Jonathan Holmes. Uh, Great. Jake already talked about it. Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Woot to the max. Yes. (laughs) Um, This was interesting. Me and Jess listened to this one, and it was funny. Who read it? Uh Oh, my goodness. Did you do the the Focus on the Family? We did, did the there? Focus on the Family. Oh, Andy Serkis. With Andy Serkis? It is ugh. honestly the best thing in the world. Like, So, like, the guy who played Gollum, for anyone
1: listening to this, like, just this guy is incredible. Hot diggity dog. They did an amazing job the of The most it. hot diggity of dogs. All the dogs being hot and diggity. It was <laughs> great.
2: Like, I'm, I'm rereading it right now. I'm in the middle of it. It's so good. I really feel like both of you are like, how can I one-up his weird exclamation? Like... Add another hot or a diggity dog, like, with regard to the canines we are discussing, they are the both hot ones? The and hot diggity ones? The hot ones? I'm just shutting this down now. Um, another one after that. This one, again, I'm recommending a lot of these. Deeper, Dean Orland. Another Orland, Another Orland. Except it's the same one who wrote Gentle and Lowly. Sure is. again another book that like needs to be prayed through and I did it as like part of my devotions so that's really really enjoyed it it's specific I think the subtitle is Real Change for Real Sinners and yeah really good Uh, number 64 Believer's Baptism the Sign of the New Covenant in Christ Thomas Schreiner and Sean D. Wright wow okay this book subtitle How to Join a Presbyterian Church (laughs) Let me tell you, if you read this book, you will not be doing that. But and I, here we are. It's a cool book. It's a very cool book. It's basically a compilation of essays. And the editors, Thomas Schreiner and Sean D. Wright, kind of gave them different topics. And okay. they go through the Old Testament, different chunks of like they go through the Gospels, apostolic letters, Acts, and go through every single instance of baptism being mentioned and then mm-hmm. also the same guy who wrote kingdom through covenant does a chapter on covenants again in there so just a really if it answers specific questions and like i, I don't want to be legitimately it's important to say i'm not trying to be divisive by talking about these books however coming from my perspective talk to your pastor, talk to your parents but this is a good book Okay. For this it's a hard book to read because it's academic but if you ha- if you really want to dig into the topic and get serious about those questions, you should read this book um, and now we are on to number 65
1: uh, yeah 65 my final book uh, the Bible God and Co
2: so that's the last uh... <coughs> and that's yeah number 65 for me.
0: It sounds weird for me to say that I did not read the Bible this year what I
2: mean is I did not f- complete the Bible this year. Right. And that's important to say, I wouldn't just put the Bible on here every single time. It's only because I did like a reading plan. To, and, to, and you read the whole thing this year. Read I have a yeah, ma- so. mass
0: amount of respect for that. Obviously I have read the Bible in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read that's it every good. day this year. Like I, I read, I read my Bible good man. very frequently. Good man. Um, but
1: uh, it, it's definitely so cool to finish the whole Bible in a year. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. So like, it's not hard to read the Bible in a year. Right. If if, I, if I'm like, I've never done. it. If you dedicate 20 minutes uh, a morning on it, you will be able to knock out the Bible in a year comfortably. From my perspective, so people might disagree with that, but that's <coughs> that's my hot take. So, all right. So, is that it?
2: That is it. Yep. All so. right,
1: guys. This was a long podcast. We're going to chop this up into two, maybe three pods.
2: A nice break at two minutes.
1: Yeah. So, uh, or two hours, yeah, a little bit more than two hours. Um, did we, do we want to do very, very briefly, um, top recommended, like top two or three? I can't. No. <laughs> okay. Honestly, I
0: look like at my list. I'm like, I don't
1: know. I read such a weird diversity of books. Sure. I I have two that that stand out for me. After you believe, by N. T. Wright, was a really practical, helpful book, and uh, your this is uh, your mind on plants was a very interesting book. Again, heavy Christian filter needed, but even for just the conversation about caffeine, extremely helpful. And, um, yeah. And then, um, I don't know, I guess, uh, the one on Steve jobs, biography of Steve jobs was really, really, really impactful for me. And I I think people can learn a lot from that.
2: (coughs) I'll just pick ones that I hadn't read before. Um, Honestly, probably Kingdom Through Covenant, that's yeah, first so for sure. Um, this would not be a huge one for other people, maybe, but just because it hit me at a time that I really needed it, uh, something needs to change by David Platt, and Deeper by Dane Orland. As just far as books that I will go back to and go back to, and uh, that just hit me and have resonated throughout the year. Yeah, recommendations are hard
1: because there's books that didn't hit me super well, but I'd be very quick to recommend. For example, any guy struggling with pornography who's listening to this, skip the books I just said. Don't read them. They're not what you need right now. What you need to is grab a copy of Gentle and Lonely by Dane Ortland and Finally Free and read those books. You don't need Steve Jobs in your life. Who cares, right? There are these books that are so much richer that are communicating God's truth. But those books didn't hit me with the level because I've Marinating in those kind of things, they're not new information and not really impactful right now. They really were a while ago, right? So it's kind of like the stuff that's hitting me at the moment. Uh, the the book on Christian character, right? Was great. I really needed that at that time, right? So that's what makes recommendations. Like what's hitting me might not be what I'd recommend first, and depending on situations. And if you're under eighteen, please don't read some of these books. It's a, it's a weird space. The idea of recommending books. Yeah, and if you're ever wondering, you're listening to the books that were on these lists.
0: And you're wondering, I wonder if this book would be appropriate for me. Obviously, feel free to let any of us ask any oh, of us. Yeah, you no. know what I mean? Like if Please you're like, do, actually. if you were looking at one of the books that I mentioned here, and you're like, "Huh, that sounded interesting," I'm 16. Is that an appropriate book for my age? Literally, just message me on Instagram or whatever, and just I will I will give you my recommendation on that. Totally. Yep. Same. I assume that goes for all of us. Yep. yep. Doth anything more need to be said? I feel like we've put enough in here we don't need cool. much yeah. by way of wrapping up notes right boys i really appreciate both this is of you guys. a blast this was a lot of fun to honestly fun. even if we don't do this in podcast form again i want to actually sit down with you guys and yeah. go through our book
1: lists next year whether it's on the air or not i know totally i i hope people find this interesting
2: i've been looking forward to doing this for months so i hope people get something out of it i feel like this both gets gives me a picture of what you guys have been doing this year but it also interestingly has just made me like recap my year in a in a kind of special way of like i remember what i was doing with this book this book here's things i learned that jumped out jump off the page as we're talking about the books like it's good exercise right fantastic fantastic boys i love you both
1: i'm heading home or heading to louisville soon so i won't see you guys too much often but i'm really oh, glad man. we got to do this break my heart when are you coming back man, i don't know spring ish, sometime <laughs> miss you already cool. all right <laughs> all right see you guys Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. It's immensely helpful. I'm all about having meaningful, interesting conversations. So if you know of someone I should talk to, hit me up on Instagram at it's the Volk. Have a good one, guys.